Report in. Red 10 standing by. Red 9 standing by. Red 3 standing by. Red 6 standing by. Red 9 standing by. You're listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast. Laugh it up, fuzzball. Your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. This is it. He lays a clankers. Welcome to the Ion Cannon Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. Today, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 8 of The Mandalorian, titled Redemption, which is, of course, the season finale, and Season 2, Episode 13 of Resistance, titled Breakout. Uh, but before we get started, we have a very special announcement today. William, you want to kind of... It's Actually, our... I take that back. No, William, I... you don't get to do this one. Tom. Okay. Really? Tom. Well, I get to do it? Well, no, 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 I'm. Go ahead. You guys are building no, this I mean, up way too much. It's it's not that big a deal. I'm sure our listeners <laughs> no, have already actually, figured it out at this point. What do you mean? Oh, already figured it out at this point. Oh, wait a minute. Because when you load it up onto the, the episode server, title. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, okay, fine. But Tom, this is a big milestone for us. You took out my thunder, man. I was going to say it's been 300 episodes that we have been podcasting. And put it this way, how many other podcasts out there can say for 300 episodes... For ten, over ten years, it's been the same three hosts. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's really cool. I really enjoy podcasting with you guys. Ditto. Uh, really. I I do as well, William. I'm a little bummed you ruined. I because I was really like, oh man, no one will know it's episode three hundred. Oh, it is in the episode. Never, you're yeah. right. <laughs> Not that you're. I'm I'm wrong. Well, I I'm upset that you were right, which is a common occurrence. I feel for you, us. Wow. But <laughs> Ouch. you know ouch yeah i mean you know we've we we were at 300 and and you know 11 years of podcasting uh 11 and a half at this point um it's actually not as many as you'd think for 11 and a half years but you know we typically record when the the animated series were going on so you think you know 22 episodes a, a year roughly plus some specials in there we get about 30 episodes a year and that comes out to 300 um mm-hmm. 330-ish, you know, somewhere in there. So, um, Well, but also we've done book reviews. Yeah. I think we've, we've done, I think you guys may have done like a video review, video game review. We've done movie movie reviews. Exactly. Plus, so, we, we'll often do like double headers or like right now, you know, there'll be multiple uh, multiple shows going on at the same time or shortened season. So it all it all adds up. But you know what? 300 episodes of uh, podcasting is, is pretty cool. And I, I love... It's awesome. I love recording. That's really guys. cool. Um, and thank you for all our listeners, especially those who've been there since the beginning. But, um, but, but yes, yeah. thank you. But uh, enough, enough patting ourselves on the back uh, because we have an even bigger uh, thing to talk about, uh, significantly bigger, bigger, and that is the season finale of The Mandalorian. Tom, tell our listeners what they can expect. So what we're going to be reviewing tonight is The Mandalorian Chapter 8 Redemption, directed by Taika Waititi and written by Jon Favreau. In the episode, which actually concludes the Disney Plus series of The Mandalorian for now, this episode, The Mandalorian comes face-to-face with an unexpected enemy. Hmm. Now, here's, here's what I want to ask you guys. This has been something that's been going around the internet like crazy when it comes to the first two uh, troopers we meet and the whole interaction. Um, yeah. What did you guys think of that? Because I know that a friend of, of the show, Aaron, um, kind of kind of was like, really? They're not supposed to be that way. 
They're supposed oh, I, to be marksmen. They're supposed to be this. They're supposed to be that. What did you think of this portrayal? Because I think in this portrayal, because they're not part of the Empire anymore, they're a little bit laxed. Oh, no. I I thought that was perfect. I, uh, so did I. Exactly what I would expect out of two soldiers sitting just like, I guess we're nothing to do. We just got nothing to do but sit here. Do you ever wonder why we're here? There's a radio program I listened to in which I'm sorry. Um, it was a from this guy's Twitter feed, a guy who was actually in the military, and on the Twitter feed he made a comment about this, saying, "Oh my God, whoever wrote that section was he ever in the military? Because honestly, that stuff happened. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. no, it, it, it's a hilarious one. Because I mean, think about it. Last episode, super emotional, right? The uh, you know, the baby Yoda is the child is kidnapped. Uh, Quill is killed. All right, our heroes are are um, pinned down. Uh, Moff Gideon, the 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 series now big bad introduces himself. All hope seems lost. Uh, and, and you know the episode ends like on the dead body of Quill, and then week two, the next week, the episode resumes, and you've got two stormtroopers, two scout troopers specifically. On sitting on speeder bikes, like you know, just shooting the breeze, talking with each other, smacking baby Yodas on the head, and you know, and like having this debate and like completely unable to shoot, and right. talking about how you know Moff Gideon kills all of his men and stuff. Like it's it, it is it is an unexpected way to start, and it's an extended scene too. It's a good few cu- couple of minutes, and um, it, it, but it, it works. Broke up, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. It, it was so well done, mm-hmm. but what cracked me up is the information that came out of that is supposedly Jason Sudeikis, who was one of the scout troopers, was told, really don't hit the child that hard because I guess the thing supposedly cost $5 million to create. Yeah. And if, if that's a joke, you guys, if you're running it into the ground, it's funny. If that's true, it's still funny if that is the case, if it's true. But yeah. that whole thing just worked so well. It did. It actually... I think it was nice because it helped contextualize a bit some of the decisions that Moff Gideon made at the end of the last episode, which, you know, I think we were a bit surprised by. We talked about how, you know, why would Moff Gideon kill his own men, right? Um, and they actually comment on it, and they 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 one of the troopers mentions it, and the other one's like, yeah, you know, you know how it is. Like, so new guy comes in, he wants to lay down the law. You know, it's it's usual. Like these these guys are used to these evil evil leaders like vader kylo ren moff gideon you know and we get just the the point of view of the guys on the ground who are just like yep that's our crazy leader and uh he might kill some of us but, you know just gonna wait here um so i kind of liked how it, how it explained that a bit uh and we, and we learned that the troopers apparently do report to moff gideon but maybe not directly and so he really didn't have a problem killing them uh but we also got a lot of humor in the scene as well, both in their, their dialogue and the whole interaction with uh, Baby Yoda, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, and even when they try to do target practice, it can't shoot. Oh, uh, my God. You know, they couldn't I, shoot the live depend so, on it. The, the thing they were trying to shoot at was so big, and they still couldn't hit it. I'm surprised they hit it, Quill. It's just <laughs> classic Stormtroopers, though. True. I mean, and clearly they've been trained to shoot from moving targets. They're not nearly as good about hitting... You know, something that's five feet away from them. Right. Yeah. It's a lot harder. Yeah. Right. I mean, this 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 initial scene, like, 
it was it walked a fine line between funny and almost so funny that it it didn't quite take you out of the episode but it walked that mm-hmm. line it was towed right up to the edge and right. it was almost like a uh, it almost felt like it could have been a scene from troops uh, very true mm-hmm. you know it was very like it, it towed that line and any more and it probably would have just become parody but i thought they did a, a pretty good job and it was a a different and, and a fun way to set up the episode, especially when the rest of the episode is so dark. Mm-hmm. Without well, it, a doubt. It's like, it's funny because you're saying toe the line. It was almost like it was, it was black or dark comedy at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It, it was just right there at that point. And as it is so true, William, they, they pulled it back to where it, it didn't go parody, but it was a great way to set up this episode. Yeah. I mean, I mean, heck like they were, they were, you, you said dark comedy, like there were, they were even, um, you know, smacking the child who we've all come to, you know, know and love throughout the series. And, you know, I mean, obviously it's, it's, you know, I, he's not I real. I just want to poke it. Right. But yeah, I just want to like, see it. You know, one, yeah. <laughs> I just want to see it. Why? <laughs> Do you, you know, not and, hear and the how? Moff Gideon just kill a dozen of his own troopers to make a point? I get that point. Do you get that point? <laughs> Yeah, and how how many? And and this is funny because I, I'd love to for people who are listening to the podcast. How many of you, when he first first sat there and hit that bag, oh. jumped back in either terror or shock that that actually happened? Oh, I think viewers around the world winced every single yeah. time, every hit. I, I think yeah. with the first, I think with the first one, it was like, no way, they went there. Right, and then they keep doing it, and it was yeah. after the episode made a point of showing you Baby Yoda in the satchel, so that yes. you would, you know, know he was in there. And then there's like smack. It's very dark. And you're like, whoa, you know. Um, but yeah, it was a uh, yeah. It was done but the well. best thing, the the best thing about it though, the child does get his revenge because the <laughs> one stormtrooper actually did go. You know, I'm gonna put his hand in there. Well, no, don't put your hand someplace where. Child could bite you, and remember, he hasn't had his frog in a while, so that's probably what he thought the frog, uh, his the finger was. Oh yes, yes. I know that was just too funny. The, the trooper got what he deserved. Um, what I found even more surprising. Well, first off, we were talking about you know how could the scout troopers actually hit anything, and they got Quill. Okay, maybe they got Quill with the uh, cannon from the bottom of the speeder bike. That's probably what they're better used to shooting and aiming at instead of actual handguns. But IG-88, I mean, IG-11, sorry. IG-11 coming out of nowhere. Now, remember, I think in the last episode, I had the feeling it was IG-11 that took out Quill. So now the assumption is, who actually did take out Quill? Oh, if these guys... The troopers. It It was the troopers, for sure. Okay, but these troopers couldn't even hit something that was right in front of them. Like IG-11 I said, was of course they used hit. the cannon on the bottom of the swoop bike. Tom, are you really arguing that the quill, that quill was an inside job? Is that what I'm hearing out from you? I originally thought that was the case until this happened with IG-11 popping up. I really did. I mean, that to me took me a complete 180. No, no, I, IG-11 was like he was programmed by Quill. The whole point of this episode is that the droid is able to overcome his programming and, and save and how loyal is he is to the child. There's no way he shot Quill, his master who was carrying the child. He was so loyal to, Mm -hmm. um, there is a question of like, why did it take him so long? Like the ship was off in the distance. 
Right. Maybe the troopers just happened to get Quill before IG-11 noticed, but I am a bit surprised he's, he was not able to help Quill. Right. Well, yeah. I was also coming up with a theory that maybe, maybe, maybe somehow. Okay, now I just thought about this. Um, remember, we never saw um, who the person was who came up to the assassin in the previous episode, a couple episodes back. Mm-hmm. So let's think that was Moff Gideon. And Moff Gideon was able to, I mean, question is, was she, is she actually dead? Is she actually alive? She was supposed to meet somebody on that planet. So maybe it was Moff hmm. Gideon who took her to that planet. And I'm summarizing here, folks. And maybe she's the one that took out Quill. And somehow when Quill uh, got taken out, uh, given, that, given that we don't see it in the episode, I'm going to go with it was just the Stormtroopers. It's the Stormtroopers. Okay. It has to be. I and, know. And also, I'm, like, I'm, just, I, I'm just thinking out loud. <laughs> she is dead. Um, okay. I Better think than the, a nail? The, the, the random, uh, the unknown boots we see, the unknown character we see at the end of the episode, I think, I don't even think he was Moff Gideon. I think he was intended to be some tease for something else. Okay. And I think well, I know Eric is going nuts because I think my son, Eric, my, my son definitely has. I mean, a everyone has their own that. theories. Maybe it's Boba Fett. Maybe it's this. Yeah. Maybe that. Like, who knows? But I think it's a yeah. tease. Um. And, but you know. Anyway, it's it's too bad. Ig Eleven couldn't save Quill, uh, and I wish we'd seen a bit of that. But Ig Eleven's entrance at, in the in the this episode is just is incredible. He almost steals the show. Uh, oh, absolutely! Uh, in, in this in this episode, like he he, he immediately <laughs> he confronts the the stormtroopers and tells them like he's a nurse droid and and then starts like just like tearing them apart. Like he breaks the one trooper's arm, smashes the other one repeatedly into a speeder bike, and then you know I, I love it when he even apologizes to the the child for having to see something as unpleasant as that. Uh, it was just great. A, I love a it. Perfect nurse droid. Absolutely. Yeah. Just, I, I just, oh. I love it. And I know we're going to jump ahead, but I just love it when IG 11 goes into town and basically just starts going to town and how he's the whole time. I mean, the, the best thing is you have to admit when IG 11 is going into town and the child is in that, in that set, that pouch in front of him, just like with that look on his face of glee as they're screaming on the speeder bike, like, yeah! And then all of a sudden, IG-11 just starts letting everything fly, and he's turning his body and protecting the child at the same time while he's getting shot at from the back or the front or whatever. Amazing. Just amazing. That is, without a doubt, my favorite scene in the whole episode. Like, oh, absolutely. The music <sighs> is just incredible. Uh, you know, Nurse and, Nurse and Protect, that's the name of the track. Like, it, it, the music is incredible. The action is is great. I, I loved it. I, I, I loved it. Like, uh, with the exception of a couple seconds at the end, which we'll talk about in a little bit, it was my okay. favorite. Um, yeah. I don't know. Steve, Steven, thoughts? Yeah, I'd like... Uh, I'm a little bit mixed, because on the one hand, it's... It's almost a little too much in some ways. Like, seeing OP or? all the storm... Sorry? Too OP or overpowered? Uh, yeah, a little bit. And the fact that the stormtroopers, you know, in true stormtrooper fashion, immediately go to being worthless when mm-hmm. immediately before that we're supposed to we're supposed to be afraid of them and like imply that like oh there's no way the three the Mandalorian, Cardoon, and Grief can make it out of there alive, and then mm. IG88 comes in and I get that adds chaos and so on. But right. it was it felt like a little bit much to me. Mm. Is well, I guess I, where I land on it. 
And I think to defend you in that case, it would have been better. I could understand the torn stormtroopers, but the death troopers are supposed to be the better of them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would yeah, think that. Yeah. Yeah, it just it's it pushes it a little bit, and it it does make for a very cool sequence. Don't don't get right. me wrong in any way. Yeah, that's, but that's it, a fair it point. is a it's a little bit of a push, is I guess how I my closing thoughts on it. But it works um, so well. Yeah, especially I, I, oh, I, I, I have, it, I, and it's fun to watch. Yeah, no, and I have to go back. To, go go ahead, go ahead. Okay, it's it's fun to watch, and that at the end of the day, that's the most important thing when you're you know watching a television show. <laughs> Absolutely, and and for me, still, it's the look of the child in that pouch on IG 11s chest on the speeder bike, almost like that look of glee of like wee as he's like going through. <laughs> I mean, just just incredible. Yeah, and, and and I think he did cause enough of a distraction that while the death troopers are pretty pretty terrifying and uh and you know difficult to take out um Mm -hmm. he he was able to cause enough of a distraction that the mandalorian was able to go out there and try to steal uh you know the e-web and and that sort of thing and 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 maybe Mm -hmm. maybe get the the upper hand despite the overwhelming odds but Mm. and that was the other thing we got to see the mandalorian get out there and actually help ig11 yeah Exactly. Just like the the last time the two of them got together, they were technically working together. But in this case, he actually went out there to help IG Eleven. Yeah, yeah. But uh, before we get to that, though, there there discuss the battle in, in more detail. There is a huge, huge moment um, uh, of exposition when we we see the Mandalorian Cara Dune and Grief Karga for the first time, and you know they're still trapped in the public house, surrounded by the stormtroopers, as we said. Um, and at this point, uh, you know, Moff Gideon, like who is so deliciously evil. I, I love mm-hmm. his lines. Like your astute panic suggests you understand your situation, you know, <laughs> uh, or, yep. or you know, just, you betrayed our business arrangement. I would gladly break any promise and watch you die at my hand. He, he's did, just did, do you think he went to the school of Tarkin? <laughs> oh, without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. Third. Pure Tarkin. Yeah, pure, pure, not, not on the level of Tarkin, but just right underneath him, man, just outstanding. But he's also like the master of this bad guy exposition because he's not just like, what, what I enjoyed about the scenes, he's not just, I'm evil and here's what I'm going to do to you, which, you know, th- there is definitely some of that for sure. Um, But he also uses the opportunity to kind of, put fear into our heroes by revealing to them how much he knows about them that even you mm-hmm. know, they might not know about themselves. Like for example, Kara's yeah. full name is Kara Cynthia Dune and she's from Alderaan, which explains why she hates the empire so much. And why, yeah. you know, when the Mandalorian was like, Oh yeah, the client, he's a former Imperial. She immediately changed her tune and decided to help. Um, and of course, you know, we learn a tiny bit more about grief Karga. It sounds like he may have been a dis- disgraced Imperial magistrate, or I wasn't really sure if that was just Imperial magistrate or just the magistrate on, uh, uh, on uh, Navarro. Uh, but the big thing we've been dancing around is we actually get the Mandalorian's true name, Dinjarin. That was so fine to hear all this. Oh yeah. I wasn't. I mean, I guess I, I kind of expected we'd get his name, and Peter Pascal did leak it in an interview a few months back. But it was still a surprise to hear, and so 
so early on. What do you guys think of his name? So, I, I mean, it's not the type of name I guess I expected him to have, but I guess I don't, I almost, I don't know. Because we, this had been leaked earlier in the season, I think, as I recall, yeah, right? Yeah, it was. Like, it wasn't really a surprise. I kind of wish he hadn't been named at all. Um, I kind of wish maybe his helmet hadn't come off at any point, which we'll talk <laughs> about later. But it just, I, it was fine. Like, I think as a demonstration of how much Gideon knows, it certainly works as mm-hmm. effective. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I think the best thing about it is it showed that how much he was able to pull out from wherever he was able to get these records from because of his imperial background. So it also, if I remember correct, once he mentioned Kara Dune's full name, she almost wanted to just get out there and attack him. I mean, it 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 was meant more for a rise to get right. them to do some kind of action. Yeah. So which I, I and love, also to get them questioning, which I, it worked. I, I'm with you though, Stephen. I think you make a good point. Um, I think the name is it's it's fine, you know, it's 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 a name. A name. Um, yep. The but I, I'm with you in that I kinda wish they just kept the mystery. And I, I get the they probably felt they needed to pay off the name and the uh his helmet, like by taking off his helmet later in the episode. And we'll talk about the situation around that in a little bit, but um I don't know. I it, it was I guess I was okay with it, but I, I kind of mm-hmm. wish they hadn't in some ways. I, I, I get that the, taking off the helmet was actually a big character moment for the Mandalorian right. um, because he had to trust IG-11. Uh, sure. so, so the situations around that's a big character growth moment, mm-hmm. um, but and he had to trust IG-11 enough. But by the, the same token, I kind of wish that they had maintained the mystery a bit more. It'll be interesting to see what they do next season going forward. Will they keep calling him the Mandalorian or they mm-hmm. start referring to him as Din Djarin? Well, look at it from this point of view when it comes to the name. Okay. Um, it may clear up about an explanation of why he technically is not a Mandalorian compared to like, let's say Sabine Wren, Clan Wren or Pre Vizsla because there is a thing to where it's like, even he says that it's like the Mandalorian isn't a race. It's a creed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I think in this case, it's more setting it up that yes, there are going to be true Mandalorians that are probably still out there. We do know. Well, no, we don't. Well, possibly that, you know, Sabine Wren or clan Wren could still be out there. Okay. We don't know that if John Favreau, because of somehow, because of his connection with uh, the clone wars and rebels, if Visla clan Visla is going to be out there. So at least this case is telling people that technically you don't have to be a true blooded Mandalorian. It's basically the creed to follow. It could be a different creed compared to another clan because for his clan, this is the way, the way that the helmets stay on. Unless of course there's nobody else around a different clan could be different. True. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It could be could change depending on the clan. Right. Um, I don't know. I, I I liked how they gave us more. You know, in addition to this exposition, we not only got Kara's full name and her homeworld and the Mandalorian's name, which I think we're all just gonna keep calling him the Mandalorian. Um, I will. Without but, doubt. Um, yeah. Uh, we also find out a lot more about uh, the the Moth's identity, about the Mandalorian's backstory. 
Uh, we find out apparently Moff Gideon is, uh, he was a, an Imperial Security Bureau, an ISB agent during the purge on Mandalore. And he's the only one who could have known Din's name because it was like the the only place it was uh, it was ever you know stored was in the records of the registers on mm-hmm. on, on Mandalore, and the the Mando Din hasn't used his name since. Um, and apparently, he was executed for war crimes, but somehow yeah. he's alive. I have a feeling he he <laughs> going to say this. He dodged a bullet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no. And I, I'd love to learn more about, I I think we will. I think Moff Gideon, I hope will play a much bigger role in season two. I think he'll be the big bad. I I get the feeling that what happened at the end of this episode, he's definitely coming back as the big bad for next season. And, and if you look at it from the the perspective of the whole series, he was the big bad. He just wasn't present. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't present. He wasn't present until he actually needed to be known. But he was the big bad throughout the whole episode because he's the one that was the person that drove the client to look for the child. Yeah, yeah, and exactly, sure. and and you know, so it, I, I like his his backstory. I think he's a cool character. He's very menacing. Uh, you know, he, he we get some more details about the siege of Mandalore with uh, this thing called the the Night of a Thousand Tears, which when apparently. Uh, you know, all of the, the Mandalorians or many of the Mandalorians died. And, and w- since we get a Siege of Mandalore reference, I wonder if we'll see the Night of a Thousand Tears in the Clone Wars when it returns. I am sure we will. We'll get something of that. Yeah. And that is actually next month, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Couple couple weeks probably till we get the, the Siege of Mandalore. My guess it'll be the final arc mm-hmm. of the show. So. If they do one episode right. a week, it'll and there's twelve episodes, we'll probably get the siege, siege of Mandalore around episode nine. So think, probably you know, two months out. We'll anyway. probably also get within that um, the Visla family coming back again because in this episode, because we were talking about um, uh, the Mandalorian about his backstory, mm-hmm. we find out that it actually was part of the Death Watch mm-hmm. that actually saved. Din from basically being killed by a battle droid because you got to see the shock hawk signet of the Visla family on the sleeve of the Mandalorian that rescued him. Yeah, they they never explicitly say the name that. Death Watch, but if you look closely on his on uh, the Mandalorian who it's rescues there. Uh, uh, Din, yeah, his 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 arm has that shriek hawk signet of the Visla family. Mm-hmm. Um, I missed that detail. That's really and, cool. Yeah. But you saw it. You saw it earlier in the season two at one point. Yeah. This yeah, yeah. is, I think, the second time you've seen it. I believe you're correct. And I think yeah. This one was a little bit clearer. Yeah. Uh, fun fact, though, the guy who plays that Mandalorian who rescues Din uh, is Brendan Wayne, who also is the Mandalorian stunt d- double, and happens to be the grandson of John Wayne, which I know we've talked about previously. Um, it's kind of cool. cool. That is really cool. cool fact. Um, but no, you, you mentioned with the, the flashback, we get to see this new, uh, we get to see the flashback in full this time. We've seen bits and pieces of it. Uh, how did you, this. how did you guys feel about that? So, yes. I, I, <laughs> sorry. You know what? Uh, go ahead, William. Uh, that it, you hit the nail on the head, Steven. That is, uh, or I think you're implying it. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it felt the, honestly, the, the the flashbacks in the whole season have felt a little heavy-handed. Um, 
And I felt like we didn't really see all that new information. I think feel like, like we keep seeing the same flashback over and over and we get just like an extra couple seconds of footage. And they mm. do obviously change a lot more than that. Um, and it was cool to see that, you know, yeah, he was rescued by a Mandalorian and became a, he basically became a foundling and was raised in the fighting core of the, of the, the Mandalorians and, and stuff. And he was adopted into their, into their, um, into their creed, into their tribe. Um, but the, the flashback itself just felt a little bit heavy handed, just a bit. Yeah. No. Steven, okay. How did you feel? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can. I can see now that we talk about it. If, it was a. Li- it was a little overhanded. If they'd done it, I think t- just twice. Once in the beginning of the season, where it's the kind of cut up version where you can't really tell what's happening, mm-hmm. and then again at the end where you see the droids more clearly. Uh, I guess you. I guess you need to no, see the droids. No, you saw them pretty clear. Yeah. So you do it. Sorry, you do it twice. The first time you do it once, where you see the droids murdering. You know all of his family and everyone else and then you do it one more time uh at the very end of the season where you show the mandalorians rescuing him and then that's all you would have needed but because they did it three times i think that that was it and it was especially because they did it the first two times like back-to-back episodes didn't they mm-hmm. like two and three mm-hmm. i think had those no it was, sorry maybe, maybe one, was and two three. And three? one and three yeah but it was pretty close and, it, and they were close. both very similar where like you get the shot of the Mandalorian and I think it was actually in the, in the armor's office uh, or shop. And like, it kind of like fades cross fades into the mm-hmm. flashback. It was very, right. shot very similarly every single time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a bit heavy. It's like, cool. I can, it's just, I can forgive it. I didn't yeah. need to see it that many times. Yeah, but also, also from I, I brought it up many times when you look at the tropes of of script writing and, and screenwriting, it, it always works in rules of three. It's like in comedy, you tell a joke three times, you're done. In this case, they did the flashback to an important thing three times, and on the third time, they extended it for just that little bit more effect. And then at this point, it should be over. I mean, going into second season, with oh, the yeah. whole exposition about his backstory, how he was saved. How he became, it's all done and over, and now they can just move on forward. That yeah. may be why they did it, just to get it completely out of the way. I mean, you're, you're not you're not wrong, Tom. Uh, I, it still felt a little bit over the top, but again, it's a minor quibble yeah. overall in the in the episode. But I, I just really enjoyed like that. It's a it's a pretty heavy exposition scene. Like, we just talked about the Mandalorian's backstory. We talked about in the flashback. We talked about. Kara's uh, past, the Mandalorian's name, Giancarlo Esposito, Moff Gideon's uh, history, and uh, you know relation to Mandalore, mm-hmm. the the siege of Mandalore, like we get all this stuff, and uh, I actually liked how Moff Gideon, even you know taking again this this exposition a step further, but it didn't feel too long. He even mm-hmm. ties the in their backstories, their history into the power of the E-Web Cannon, which. You know, we've seen these 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 um, these cannons before uh, in Star Wars, and they've never been too terrifying. But I kind of like how it's because it's a smaller conflict. Moff Gideon tries to bring it home to their um, personal experiences with an E-Web to try mm-hmm. to instill the fear of the weapon in them. I I well, found him a little bit too heavy-handed, like the, especially because I feel like. 
doesn't he like so they refuse to surrender after the E-Web as that he's pulling the E-Web up and he's like, yeah. I'm going to give you some time to think about this. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, he kept, did do that. I, I kept wondering, like, are, are you just going to kill them at some point? Like you're given like two train killers an awful lot of time to think this through. They just it felt especially coming out of, off the previous episode where you had this big looming confrontation. Mm hmm. This, like in the middle of the climax, we get our, a nice little reprieve with the soldiers in the beginning, and then we take another reprieve where Moff Gideon goes on his villainous speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, just, it felt a little too long to me. I, but I if you think... look at if you look at it from the point of view of how it was setting up everything else, I mean, it was giving the characters and I, you know, a way to get back into the sewers. Let's figure out how we can get this grade off. It gave them the way to set up IG 11 coming in and basically, you know, terrorizing the town. It, you know, gave the Mandalorian the option to where it's okay. You set up the E web, E web and made it such a nasty weapon. But when the Mandalorian goes out to help with IG 11, what does he do? He goes straight to the E web. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it also sets yeah. up to where, if I remember correct, he goes to the E web, but it was Moff Gideon who blew up the power pack. Because I don't think he got the shot off to the E web. Am, am I correct? He did. He did fire a little bit of the E web, but you, you're, you know, he took out a couple stormtroopers. But you're right. Okay. You know, Moff, that the look Moff Gideon gives him when he shoots the Mando in the in the neck, and it kind of oh, bounces yeah. off, and then he just looks and he sees, you know, next to him, next to the Mando, he sees the um the power, the tethered power module, and just shoots it. And you know, blows up the the entire the entire thing. It was just it was a pretty great moment. Yeah, and oh. then on top of that, mm-hmm. it also sets up the uh, flamestorm uh, flamethrower trooper. I mean, you want to talk about to me? I think he's a little bit more terrifying than the death troopers when that guy showed up, and he had white and red armor mm-hmm. instead of these guys showing I did, up black. I did really like his armor. That was so cool to see him just come. You know, just that would be more terrifying then to me right now, a death trooper is to have that guy walk up with that thing. Super heavy armor. And it's great because the Mandalorian is injured, right? We talked about how he got hit by that explosion. Um, and, uh, and he's, he's, he's seriously, seriously wounded. Uh, and mm-hmm. not good. Like, like he could die uh, and probably will die. And he's telling everyone to leave him, uh, kind of die. And for a moment, I thought maybe Kara might kind of take more of a central focus. Um, but um you know but you know so so the mandalorian he's he's seriously injured uh everyone else is trying to find an escape route and then that flame trooper walks in and they're they're in an enclosed space there's no way out they are in huge trouble and we get that awesome moment with the child Mm -hmm. that (sighs) ah Going forward, it's going to be interesting how they're going to use the child because it's always at the right moment where those force powers come out. Or let's say the wrong moment when it came to Kara and and, and <laughs> the Mandalorian when they were arm wrestling. That was the wrong moment. But in other cases, he's really come out with the force powers at the right moment. But man, that this was, was the right time. That was the perfect time, especially that little guy holding back all that flame. And then the, the look of shock on their faces that this was happening yeah. was just... Just incredible, and the little flick of the child's wrist as he like pushes the flames away was yeah. just a great, a great touch. Uh, and it's so cool to see like the the force starting to, uh, well, maybe awaken uh, in uh, <laughs> in the child. Uh, 
uh it's 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 very cool i mm-hmm. i really i really liked it and i liked how the mandalorian's injury kind of set up this dynamic where he basically tries to sacrifice himself and yeah you know he, he tries to get you know he gives kara his mythosar pendant and uh you know tries to send her off to the mandalorian convert so they can uh they can help and he's gonna stay behind and try to you know take everyone out um and it's it's kind of sad did you guys think it's kind like, of, yeah what did you guys think it was a he was gonna die or just a fake fake out uh, i was pretty sure it was a fake out given that the show is called the mandalorian and <laughs> the titular character we've already got to, yeah. <laughs> we gotta confirm season two but i i appreciate what they were uh what they were going for um I wish it hadn't come. A, sorry, I feel like I'm sounding very negative. I, as we're talking about, it, I'm realizing the first half of the episode I didn't enjoy nearly as much as the second half. Mm. Um, I, I was a little frustrated by the Mandalorian how serious his injury is, mm-hmm. and in fact, the fact that it's apparently totally treatable, except that he doesn't want to be treated. Okay, but uh, but it, it, look at it from the point of view of let's say the creed within his his clan is. You have to sacrifice yourself for the good of everybody else. Okay. Sure. Uh, and that's he and, didn't need and, to sacrifice. Is okay, my, but what I kind of came back to. Okay, and 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 that part that part I understand, but at that moment, it did set up something that you probably never thought would happen in this season, and it actually had set up for him to get his helmet off and IG eighty eight actually trying to help him because until this point. The only time the helmet came off is when he ate at that one little farm when he was watching the child out with the kids. But we never saw his face at this point. They had sure. to get it to a point to where he needs to get the helmet off. And this set up everything to where once they left, and as you said, I think, Stephen, earlier, it set up a trust for the Mandalorian to trust IG-11 to not kill him because that's what the droid is originally supposed to do, but now he's a nurse droid. So it set up a lot of stuff to get to this point. And it, as a viewer, it sets up some really good tension. Will he or won't he? Will he or won't he? Well, you know there's a season two he's going to live. But will the helmet come off? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're right, Stephen, in that it's 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 kind of silly. He's like, I, you could save me, but um, I just don't want to take my helmet no. off. So <laughs> I'll, I'd rather die. I'd rather die than take my helmet off. Uh, uh, and I, as I'm saying, I realize there's... Like, th- this isn't exactly an uncommon thing. Like, there are certain religions... And people who feel the same way in actual life of no, like if I if you know I need a blood transfusion, mm-hmm. I don't want a blood transfusion. Like, do not give uh, like mm-hmm. it's you know do not give me one. Do not resuscitate. Like all of those right. things. So it's not without it's not without a, a certain amount of understanding, I guess. Right. Yeah. That's well, it's, not, it's not without precedent. There is precedent out there that That's that the this can for. happen. Yeah. Right, there right. is precedent. Exactly. But but thankfully okay. because he's. You know, he has he's had this personal growth throughout season one where, you know, remember back, you know, episode chapter one, he, he shoots IG-11, you know, who's trying to kill the, the child. And then he, with Quill's help, has to learn to trust this droid and let it watch over the child. And I have to say, I, I loved I loved IG-11's line uh later to to grief you know if you go near the child i have no choice but to kill you <laughs> oh yeah that was a great line um, that really was a good line but you know the, the mandalorian like he has to learn to trust this droid and then he has to and get over his his big fear because we see the super battle droid is what killed his his family uh and what almost killed him 
And so he has this fear, this, this deep, deep-seated fear of droids. And he has to get mm-hmm. over that and, and learn to trust IG-11. And not only does he have to learn to trust IG-11, he has to learn to reveal his biggest personal secret to IG-11 in order to live. And, right. and that's when he makes the decision, you know, and when IG-11 basically, you know, rationalizes the situation with him and says, you know, he says, you know, I've, I've never taken my helmet off. Shown, shown, no one, no, no one live, no living thing has ever seen my face since I swore the creed. And, and, uh, and IG-11 like, I'm not a living thing. And it's what, a little bit of Lord of the Rings, but I kind of don't mind it. Yeah. No, I didn't All mind it either because it. And in this case, it actually worked because it made a point. Mm-hmm. As you said, William, it's trusting the droid. And two, yeah, he's not a living thing. So really, you're not going against your creed by doing this. So let me save you. Plain and simple. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I liked how, you know, again, it was it was personal growth and uh, he had to learn to trust. And, and later he even learns to mourn IG-11. Uh, so it's... You know, it's the Mandalorian. While it's kind of silly on on some level, it's also a big dramatic effect. Now, uh, all that aside, I do again kind of wish we hadn't seen his face. Um, Pedro Pascal has done such an incredible job of, uh, and uh, to be fair, his uh, the Mandalorian stunt doubles as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Brendan Wayne and they uh, absolutely I forget the other stunt doubles' name. There's two of them. Um, they've done an incredible job acting out the Mandalorian, this character who. You know, very much like a droid. Like you don't see his face. You know, Anthony Daniels is so expressive, and and the Mandalorian is the same way. Um, and they they've done an incredible job, and it's almost kind of a shock to see the Mandalorian's face. Like I like I knew what he looked like. Obviously, we all know what Pedro Pascal looks like. We've seen him talk in interviews and stuff, but seeing him on screen in the Mandalorian's armor without his helmet felt mm-hmm. almost disconcerting. I don't know. It was it was very really. I don't know. It was it was it felt very strange. Well, I. For me, I'm going to put it this way, and I'm going to put a little little levity in what I'm going to say. It actually proved that Pedro Pascal was the Mandalorian because if they were to have sat there and just had him not take off the helmet, then all he would have done was the voice work than actually well, being in that armor. Tom, it it proved he was uh, he was in he was the Mandalorian for a 30 second scene, but I know, but still. <laughs> But still, I but mean, no, like I said, I'm putting, I'm putting a little levity in what I'm saying because you, you do have to give a credit for for John Wayne's grandson and the other stunt double and Pedro Pascual, whoever was in that armor at any point during this season, you could not tell it was a different person in that armor. They were able to pull a, a character that basically you saw no expression, yeah. nothing, even the vocal pattern was almost i'm not saying deadpan but there really wasn't much even vocal pattern really up and down expression like you like like we were doing in a conversation right now it was almost even keel Mm -hmm. and it was great i mean to have pedro pascal's helmet come off at this point made a statement and worked yeah and throughout the whole thing it had to be done so also uh, the the other stunt double is Latif Crowder. Uh, they both do really great work. They they all deserve they do uh, like a round of applause. The the I think the biggest thing I will remember from season one of The Mandalorian is the amount of acting that they have to do just like just through body language. Yeah, and they do an, a fantastic job of it. Yeah, yeah, but. 
just because we've seen the Mandalorian's face, just because we now know his name is Din Djarin, doesn't mean they have to continue using it or showing it, <clears throat> which is nice. I think the suspense True. is now gone, but I kind of hope they just keep, you know, keep him under the mask a lot. Keep him. I, I suspect they will. Again, given the, the the very rare circumstances surrounding his his reveal. Well, um, and also he is so strong on his creed that yeah. no living thing will see his face. Exactly. If they were to go back on that starting now, then to me the series has a bit of a problem. Yeah, and, and the character the character has a bigger flaw if that is the case. Right, and I suspect they felt like they couldn't do season one without, uh, without showing his face in some way. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, well, let's see. Uh, another interesting side comment that, um. Uh, Cara Dune makes. I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, you know, when, when Gideon tells them to surrender and that you know he won't kill them, Cara uh, grief su- suggests maybe they should surrender, and Cara absolutely refuses, um, saying that you know because she, she's a former rebel shock trooper, and you know if she surrenders, they'll upload her mind, up- upload her to a mind flare. Hmm. What the heck is that? I miss I, that. I'm guessing it's what we saw Vader use on Han in episode five. A mind flare. Hmm. That that feels well, right to me. Okay, well, how about how about this? How about this? Um, just suppose that this is supposed to kind of give some kind of backstory into the first order. Maybe, maybe she's kind of hinting at what the new stormtroopers go through by way of their programming. Maybe that was like a first iteration that she heard. Interesting. Cause, cause think of it this way. She is a shock trooper from the Republic. Okay. If they were to take a shock trooper, a very well-trained trooper, better than some of their stormtroopers or scout troopers and upload and, and kind of program them. Maybe this is like the first hint of programming. Just throw it out there. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Grief it's says it's a myth and just war, wartime propaganda, but I don't know. That is, that's also true sure. too. It that's sure true it too. is. It sounds a heck of a lot like the uh, the mind flare in Stranger Things, but that's a whole other universe. <laughs> I mean, uh, that that is called the mind flare, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, now I'm curious. I doubt where we'll ever find out. I have a feeling it's a throwaway line, yeah, or probably. We'll just get it in a book. It's like, oh, yeah. And then, you know, like Vader put Han in the mind flare. We'll be like, oh, okay. They, they, they just gave a name to the thing that we'd already seen before. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So what did you guys think of when they went, finally got out of the, um, they got out of their predicament and got into the sewers to go try and find the Mandalorian culvert? What did you think of them basically being all gone or just nothing there and nothing but armor? I think it makes sense. You know, obviously the Mandalorians had cleared out after the big battle. They talk about relocating and finding a new planet. Was it cleared out? Or do, you think the, do you think it cleared out or do you think the Empire got in there and wiped them out? Oh, I think they cleared out. Okay. And Wait. I, I certainly not all of them got out, it looks like, because there's obviously the piles of armor and so on. But mm-hmm. so you think they really interesting? I, I have trouble believing they're all gone after we see them in you know in uh whatever episode three during that mm-hmm. big battle sequence i have trouble picturing that army being wiped out 
depends on how big it was down there. Yeah, I, I took it as the way what I understood from um, the armor, who's the mm-hmm. only one alive we see at least, is that many mo- slash most of them did die, but that a few of them did manage to escape potentially, and she right. really doesn't know. You know, she says that the Mandalorians, that the the Imperials arrived shortly after the Mandos saved our Mando, Din Djarin, in, in Chapter Three, and that the Mandos hopefully survived and escaped off world, but that she's trying mm-hmm. to salvage everything remains. And it's like, wow, it's kind of it's kind of heartbreaking. Kind- that the Mandalorians they they exposed themselves to go help their their brother and were effectively wiped out for their trouble. It, it's heartbreaking, but also a little bit on the macabre side mm-hmm. because she stayed back and she's taking their armor and she's melting it down. Mm-hmm. Well, it's always supposed you know? to be passed down through the right, generations right. and the foundlings. And that's, and so. yeah. And that, that's the cool thing about it is it's like, you know, she is taking it. She is going to pass it down, but it set up one of the coolest fight scenes you have ever seen when she's sitting there after she tells them, you know, to, to continue on your way. First off, I got to get to the point to where it's like the Mandalorian finally gets earns a siglet, mm-hmm. which isn't that cold where she's looking at, at, you know, the child and she's just like, this is the thing that saved you. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And he goes, okay, well you've earned your siglet. And he finally gets that, that, uh, horn beast on the his sleeve. Horn. Yeah. And then now she also says, you're the one that has to protect this child now. So it's kind of cool that you see what was set up in the episodes where he was saved by um, Death Watch. Now, he's got to do the exact same thing to the child. And she said, you're protecting him until you get him back to his kind. And I kind of summarized all that because it was a long speech. I, I but, think that is, that may be, like of all, there's a lot, there's a lot of um, exposition in this episode in, 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 a, in a good way, I think. Yeah, a but lot in this section especially. That may like, the, the whole scene with um, the grief with, with uh, uh, Moff Gideon and, and obviously with the Mandalorian. But I think this is this may be the most important thing for the future of the series, and that is when the armor tells the Mandalorian about how you know the, the about the songs of eons past that tell of battles between Mandalore the Great. And an order of ancient sorcerers called Jedi that fought with such powers, and that while the child so much, yeah. so good, and like how they reframe yeah. as ancient uh, these sorcerers, great, and and how uh, while the child's kind were enemies, this one is not. It is a foundling, and by the creed, it is now in the Mando's care. And she tells him, "You have no choice. You must reunite it with its own kind, meaning that he must search the galaxy for the home." of this creature uh. so he can return to his family. She says, quote, by uh. creed until it is of age or reunited with its own kind, you are its father. This is the way. Okay. Uh, that's now, gotta be the remember, plot of season two, right? That, that is the plot without a doubt. That has to be. But, but you see, here's, here's my dilemma guys. Cause I know I've said this before. I don't want to know the species of the home planet of the child. And it looks like I, I'm going to get uh, it. I don't know. There's a lot of ways to interpret that. Like, is it, are, do they mean you have to, they have, he has to find the home world of the, of Yoda species. Does that mean he has to that's, just find, that's how I interpret it. Yoda's, that's how I interpret Yoda, it, but I think Yoda's I know parents. how you're going to go with it. 
Or does that just mean he needs to find the Jedi, a Jedi? That's what I, th- that's what I thought you were going to go with. Yeah, it could be the world, it could be the parents, or it could be just the Jedi. See, um, I'm hoping, I'm hoping it's the Jedi, mm-hmm. and not the world. I think that's where it's going to go. I hope, because I, I, I would think, God, I'm going to sit there and say it might be easier to find a Jedi than a home world. Well, we'll yeah. see. I think it would be, especially like Luke's out there now. It's it's you know five years post Return of the Jedi. Um, Luke's out there starting up his Jedi Temple. Yeah, uh, like this, this could be pretty cool, you know. And and the the way it sets up this dynamic where he basically has to search the galaxy for the home of this creature and deliver it to a race of enemy sorcerers, you know. And again, they would get the this is the way. It's like it's such a great dynamic that will mm-hmm. set up season two where he now has to. I think this is my assumption of season two. He's going to have to, you know, travel the galaxy looking for clues as to this kid's origin and the Jedi. Mm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's an see, amazing, and, and that's, amazing pro- and, premise. And that's going to be another thing coming out of the Clone Wars now with the second season. When the armorer said, you know, the, the sorcerers, uh, the Jedi, you know, there used to be em- enemies. It's like, okay, well, was that enemies that happened after Order 66? Or is it because of which side her clan was on when it came to the Mandalorian Civil mm-hmm. War? There's a lot of ways to look at that. Yeah, are they talking about the Old Republic where the you know the, the clans of Mandalore were always like, you know, uh, often, That is true too. Forgot about that. Uh, you know, going up against the Jedi or is she talking more recently where, you know, the there was clan there were some of the Mandalorians that were allies of the Jedi and some were you know, with Clan Visla uh, and mm-hmm. Death Watch, and then later some were under Darth Maul, and some were under Bo Bo Katan, uh, you know, fighting uh, against the the Sith. So, and the funny thing is, as you just fish. mentioned, some were under uh, Darth Maul. So basically, she's saying, you know, the enemy sorcerers—they were basically working with the sorcerer to begin with. When you look at Darth Maul, mm-hmm. even though he was Sith, it was like, okay, it, it's going to be fascinating to see how this gets interpreted going forward. Yeah, yeah. Stephen. I was gonna say, and at the time, Maul wasn't really a Sith, though. That is true. Technically, but he, he's but no he was still Darth sorcerer Maul, powers, though. If you look Maul. at it from that point of view, that's that's yeah. uh, true. He is still a sorcerer. Yeah, it's interesting. But he was fighting against Maul. I don't know. So if they're allied with Darth I, Maul, they're fighting against the Jedi. Right. The, the premise is exciting. I I have high hopes for where they're going to take this. And I I'll just say I don't think it's going to be just this plot of season two. I expect this to be the plot of the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. Well, like. Yeah, well, so I, that's going to be my guess. Depending on how many how many seasons they're going to give it, because I I love this Fair. show. If they do if they do ten seasons, you know, probably not every season is going to be this particular one. You are correct, but I okay, but I'm for I'm, at least the next gonna, two or three seasons. I bet you this is what we focus on. And and to, and to be totally honest about this, I really love this show, but I think from a certain point. They're going to have to say there, there, there's a definite end to the show unless they want to do a spinoff from it. Because I, I think right now going into season two is great. Season three, let's see what they set up in season two. But I think once it gets, gets past like season three, I think it's like, okay, let's – how much further can you t- – unless they're really going to get into mythology, really get into building everything within the Star Wars universe and using this as like ground zero – I could see it going further, but the way it is right now, if it just keeps on this path, I I would say at tops 
four seasons. Interesting. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't disagree. I, as long as they keep them short, though, as long as they keep them like, you know, eight episodes and not start expanding the thing out to like 22 episodes. Oh, I don't think they I will. Think, yeah, I, I, and, and I totally agree because I think keeping it this short, it's giving, like I've said many times, it's giving each episode the time to breathe and tell its story. Yeah. And you get in, you tell your story. Yeah, you've got some dragging, but you tell your story, you get out. Yeah. And they made it perfect here with the eight episodes. They had a great beginning, middle, and end, and a cliffhanger end to get to into the second season. So yeah, no, I to your point, I would always rather have a short series that goes Absolutely. in with a goal, has a story to tell for X number of seasons that they've already you know plotted out at a high level. They don't have to have everything written, but you know plotted out at a high level. You go in, you tell your story, you leave, you're done. Right. I would much rather end a series. I, we're only in season one, so it's really early to be talking about ending a series. But I would right. much rather oh, have them end a series um, on their terms and have a, sh- you know, tell the story you want to tell in a great way and go out while you're on top rather than going yep. out when, you know, people are like, oh, you should have ended three seasons ago. Right. So I, I don't disagree. I think right. it's probably going to be four seasons. And But, hey, I love the show. It's a fantastic mm-hmm. show. We'll see where it goes. This is only season one. Right, I'm excited to, for what comes next. They've got a now, great idea. I know, and and now to get on to going out, you know, the way you want. Let's like I alluded to earlier. How about that battle with the armor and the stormtroopers? I mean, have you ever seen somebody use basically hammers the way she did <laughs> to take out a legion of stormtroopers? Oh, this better not be the end of the armor. Oh, I totally uh, agree. I, I think she's got it with the best. That got very awkward, very fast and quiet. No, I yes. think she survived. Yeah, no, I, I think she I'm pretty sure survives. It's just, I think the question is going to be, where does she fit in in the future? Mm. How does she, he encounter her again naturally? True, because she's she's going to have to, I think at this point, she's going to have to move. She can't still be on the same planet. Can't go back. Certainly. Yeah, unless unless somehow, some way, they decide to use this as a quote unquote base of operations, but that's not wait. I think the mission of him going forward, if he's supposed to be searching the galaxy to put the child on the proper path with these sorcerers or with his home species, he's got to keep on the move. He can't use a quote unquote home planet. I I, I disagree. I think he will come really. Back. I don't think he'll spend a lot of time on Navarro, but I think he will come back occasionally, maybe for advice. Um, I mean, at the end of the episode, they flat out state that Navarro has been cleaned up and the, the Imperials are gone. Grief Karga says that Cara Dune decides to live on Navarro and stay behind. That means that if Cara Dune's coming back, and I, you know she's got to be coming back next season, mm-hmm. um, the Mandalorian's going to have to return to Navarro. And when he returns to Navarro, he's going to go see the armor. That's my well, theory. We'll see. I no, could be we'll wrong. See. Could be wrong, but she's staying, you know, staying behind to try to clear up these clerical concerns, quote unquote, with her chain code and mm. you know, and Grief Targa does <laughs> does say that all the scum and villainy have been washed away, and it's a respectable place again. If you count, you know, respect, mm. <laughs> respectable as in bounty hunters. Which, by the way, I love his line. Some of my favorite people are bounty hunters. It's so yeah, good. <laughs> that was a good line. But, but so. I think I think. I think they'll be back. But the armor did give the Mandalorian one heck of a parting gift. Oh. The rising so phoenix. Cool. Yes. Jetpack finally. Which he uses to well, really I'll, good effect. 
Okay, now wait a minute. She didn't give it directly to him. She gave it to IG-11 saying, keep this in safekeeping until he's ready to use it. Or basically when it hits the fan and he has to use it. Right, because he hadn't flown since it was a child. And apparently, right. I didn't know, we didn't know this, the jetpacks like listen to your your command somehow. I'm not really sure how that yeah, works. Yeah, that's it. that was interesting. Yeah. But, yeah. but clearly, um, I, you know, he had to he had to use it. So IG eleven holds onto it, right? And he wasn't in the best physical shape at the time for it either. That's no, that's very true too. He just had his like, you know, he just been he, he was on the almost dead, and then thankfully that back to spray is like a miracle drug because he's, you know, a couple minutes later, even before they reach the armor, he's like back to normal. So. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, they, they, you know, within the five years of after returning the Jedi, back this come a long way. Yeah, it's a miracle drug. Yeah. So now, okay, so when they left and they go into the lava river, that was interesting, especially a boat that is quote unquote impervious to lava, but also that droid in the back. That that dude, was, that droid was terrifying. That, <laughs> that was, was my, that was my takeaway. That was creepy. That was a very creepy droid. Just that moment you're like, oh, it's a, it's an old rusted R2 unit. Oh, it's missing its uh, its legs. And then yeah. that moment where it stands up, you're like, oh, yeah, oh, that I don't it's know. A, how it's to an respond astromech to this. on legs. It's like, yeah, it's like as, as soon as that boat, because they had to shoot it away from the dock. As soon as it got into that lava river, and all of a sudden it did. As soon as that thing started activating and got up on those legs, and the ore went out, that got creepy. It's really cool. It's a, it's a very unique style of droid, um, and I, I liked it. You know, they take a droid that's familiar and they basically put arms and legs on it and make it into some weird, creepy fairy <laughs> droid. It's it's, I, it's great. I do kind of like the idea that, like, yeah, an astromech, of course, has different configurations you can purchase. Like, it, mm-hmm. it's designed to be custom customized. Uh, I don't know, or, or it's just it's a hack droid. In which case, I'm actually kind of also okay with it because, right, that that also seems kind of fitting. Either way, it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty terrifying, and. Yeah, the, the whole lava ri- lava river tunnel uh, is 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 pretty cool. Like the you know the just the the whole aesthetics. It's very creepy. They're they're kind of not really able to control it. The the lava the ferry droid is in theory propelling them forward, but mm-hmm. you know what isn't able to stop. And I don't know if that's because the droid doesn't work or the droid was it was a trap laid by the uh, you know <coughs> Moff Gideon's forces or or what. But the whole thing was just pretty darn creepy so i, so I, I went read by, it is sort of go ahead not working yeah that was yeah, and, and i read it because of the flow of the river that there was no way that droid was going to be able to stop them right. it was going to be going forward regardless i don't think he, i don't think there was any way that droid could have stopped it but you know Kara still blew its head off so there's yeah there's which, which actually that was a way to stop the droid but not you and, know and again given what that droid looked like i'm okay with that decision yeah <laughs> it haunts my dreams but it is kind of sad that you've got Mandalorians looking through his visor and noticing that on each side of the openings, they've got troopers basically waiting to ambush him. And IG-11 takes... It's like, you hate to say goodbye to IG-11, but you almost feel like in this case, you had no choice. Mm-hmm. He had to sacrifice himself to basically protect the child and everybody else. Yeah. And and again, yeah. this, this is a perfect moment with IG-11 where it, it ties in... So, 
this I don't know how they did it. They they managed to tie in so many different plot threads into one tiny little moment. The Mandalorian's fear of droids right now. He's he's literally begging IG eleven, no, we need you. Stay you know, help me protect the child. Um and he he brings back up the manufacturer protocol where, you know, he has to self destruct uh, rather than mm-hmm. be captured. Um that we saw in chapter one. We got Quill's programming where you know, of course, it Quill's programming supersedes the manufacturer's protocol, but mm-hmm. you know, the, there's no scenario where the child would be safe. Like they, he managed, they managed to tie in all these different plot threads uh, into this kind of a very emotional moment. Given that you have a you have a, a faceless droid and a helmeted Mandalorian, and and yet it's a pretty emotional moment. Yeah, but yeah. he does take out those troopers at the exit. I do love seeing that explosion, although um, I don't know why the stormtroopers didn't maybe fire earlier. Probably surprised, but just well, he clears the way very, very effectively without a doubt. Well, and, yeah. and seeing, you know, as he walks down the lava and his legs start to melt as he walks out of the tunnel, mm-hmm. just it's just really well done. Yeah, really. Do you really guys well think done. we'll see another IG unit in season two? It would be interesting if we do, because you know it's not going to be the same one. Because mm-hmm. if it comes back as the same one, that's ah, kind of pushing it. I mean, you're going to see the IG-11 basically being the assassin droid again. You're not going to see the IG-11 as being a nurse droid. Yeah, Quill's, that's Quill's kind not of what I was feeling too. Yeah, because Quill's not there to reprogram it. Mandalorian ain't going to reprogram it. Mm-hmm. I, as much as I would love to see... Uh, a permanent sidekick in IG-11, I just, I don't think we're going to get it. I think, uh, I think that would be pushing it with this one mm-hmm. if it was a permanent sidekick. I mean, I can understand uh, K2SO, I can understand R2 and 3PO and BB-8. In this case, I, to me, it would be pushing it if he stayed around. I think this was a fitting end to complete his programming for for uh, IG eleven, I really do. Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of those things where we may see an uh, an IG unit droid at some point that will you know remind the Mandalorian, but I that's probably about it. Probably won't be that much. Yeah, yeah. I would think. I think that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then you got you know Moff Gideon has to come in and spoil the whole thing about hey they're safe and here he comes in with his really cool X uh tie fighter what is I almost say X wing it's really is cool his tie, tie fighter. fighter a normal tie fighter no because his his wings fold remember when it landed well, it, it did I, this really cool we didn't fold. i know we didn't talk about that last was that that was last episode right yeah, yeah, yeah. that was last episode we forgot to talk about that i couldn't decide if that was oh yeah all tie fighters can do that or if it was something special just from off getting i believe it's, it is a special his, one it must be because his wing okay. his wings folded and he had landing gear, because every Tie Fighter we've seen to this point, they always rested uh, on the um the the wings. I'm gonna call them yeah, wings, which so, I know they're not. Tom, I've been a Star Wars fan long enough to know that just because we've never seen something happen before, that doesn't mean it doesn't get retconned. Oh, oh, absolutely <laughs> true. I mean, I've got the model kit of but, Darth Vader's Tie Fighter back in the day from AMC, and it has landing gear on it. So, uh, but yeah, so okay. Anyway, special Tie Fighter. I'm a, that makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah, it's, no, no, no. It's special uh, Tie Fighter. It's really cool though. No, the th- honestly, the first thing I thought of when we saw that sequence is I remember thinking like, it's one of those things. Where you're like, really, he's in a Tie Fighter? How are they possibly going to survive? How is he missing? 
And then I remembered when I played uh, Battlefront 2. Sorry, the new Battlefront 2. Was it new? Yeah, I guess it is new. At, wait, no, no, I think it back. I think it was in Battlefront 1. Oh, okay. But the, anyway, there, there are a couple of maps where you can pilot a TIE fighter or an X-Wing and you can swoop around over like Takodana or over Hoth. And I'm remembering, oh yeah, it is actually really, really hard when you're flying, you know, a couple hundred miles per hour or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and trying to hit a person-sized target. <laughs> it is not, it is non-trivial, let's say. Okay, so but I'm if Luke can hit totally a womp okay rat, Luke has okay, the Luke, force, look. let's be honest. Yeah, um, and but, it's a skyhopper, well, skyhopper's a little bit different. Okay, and he was in Baker's Canyon, so yeah, it's a little different. But you're, you're totally right, Stephen. It's, it's, it's incredibly hard, and that's why he's able to to miss. He, that's why he misses them, thankfully. And you know, he comes around for another pass. And I just another one of my favorite lines in the episode was when this was so fun. Uh, was when grief looks at at the child and says, "Come on, baby, do the magic hand thing." <laughs> And, and then, then the then the child sits there and does yes. the little hand thing, which was so he funny. He waves back. Oh, it's great. Oh, oh. That, that, so good. that killed me. That I was laughing so hard in the face of imminent death. There was a very funny scene. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then the Mandalorian whips out his jetpack, and like there's some cool action. We didn't really talk about much about the, about the action. Uh, earlier in the episode when they all fight the stormtroopers, but the action I thought was really well done. The fight scenes were done well done. This one was cool too. It was, it was simple in some ways um, because, you know, the Mandalorian basically just jumps into the air and files his grappling cable on, onto the ship and reels himself up and starts like shooting inside and plants some explosive charges on it and that's it. But it was effective and it was something that I feel like you, the Mandalorian could do against a TIE mm-hmm. fighter without being a, having, you know, Jedi powers for, without having the Force. It was it was really, really well done, and you know the Mandalorian, yeah. uh, uh, the Mando jumps off as Grief's tie goes crashing into the ground, uh, and uh, again, I also really enjoyed how like as soon as the ship crashes, you know the the Mando he like lands awkwardly on the ground and then immediately like turns into this confident strut as he walks away. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, I, I meant to do that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. No, I, uh, yeah. Meant to do that, of course. Uh, it's a really cool sequence. I love how you can feel the, the the speed of it, I guess, is how I would describe it. You know, it's a good sequence. They did a really good job. And the animation, I feel like, was not, it's been good throughout the entire show, but like, the TIE fighter, you know, him whipping around behind while he's on hit with his whip cord. Like, it mm. all just looks really, and hangs together really well. Mm-hmm. Hey, wait a minute. That was animation. I thought this was Disney. They had enough money to put that together and have it as a drone flying by. <laughs> Sorry. No, that yeah. was actually uh, I, I, Pedro Pascal hanging on on the edge. That is, oh. There were no it, live stunts. Right. Very cool. Did, no, okay, but... You didn't notice? <laughs> Um, sorry, but it was no. Uh, we 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 got to move on. That was that was no, a bad take. I'm it was sorry it was that, very well done as far as um, the animation and and the, the CG and uh, I think the only the only scene in the whole episode or really most of the series that I felt looked a little fake was when 
IG-11 grabs the Stormtrooper at the very beginning of the episode and smashes them into the speeder bike. As cool as a, of a scene as it was, for a brief split second, it looked pretty fake. Um, but other okay, than that, I'll like, agree. The there, there's a couple good. spots when he was on the speeder bike. Minor shots. Oh, I like those. Yeah. 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 Yeah, toward the beginning. But, eh, nitpick. Yeah. Little things. Yeah. But, like, anyway, you know, all, all seems well. The, 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 Moff Gideon is presumably dead. Uh, as we, t- we talked about how Kara decides to stay in Navarro and Grief tries to convince the Mandalorian to stay as well and says he, you know, he can take any quarry, quarry he wants when he comes back. But instead, the Mandalorian flies off with the, the child in tow. Uh, you know, as we talked about, hopefully to go search for the little guy's family. And um, I-, I thought there was a really nice symmetry between the Mandalorian mm-hmm. flying off with the child and the unnamed Mandalorian flying off with a young Din Djarin in the flashbacks. So as much as I didn't, oh, I, the flashbacks were a little, a little much in this one. The, the symmetry of, you know, a Mandalorian, a unnamed Mandalorian, or in this case, finally someone named, uh, flying off with this young kid he's adopted was just a, a nice, a nice moment. Yeah. It works really well. Yeah. It worked for a very, very nice wrap up to mm-hmm. this, this, part of the story yeah yep and uh you know even the 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 baby the child has the mando's mythosar pendant and he lets him keep it and they, they even you know bury quill's body and and they fly off into the sunset and then we go back to a crash site with a bunch of Jaw. Those Jawas get around. Not only on they are, not only are they on Tatooine, they're here as well. I'm like, are they? Okay, anyway, but I can't believe Jawas- we've gotten this far though without talking about the coolest moment in the episode. Well, no, we're getting there because no, the jet. Have- hang on, the jetpack is the coolest moment. Let's. Let's be no. realistic here. Really? No. I mean, no, 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 no. We're, no. we're now, no. we're now an hour and 13 some odd minutes into this episode. And we haven't talked about the big reveal. I'm shocked that we've been able to get this, this long. Cause this is well, the thing I did not see coming. I don't think anybody saw this coming because, okay. I don't even think the Jawa saw it coming because they were scavenging this tie fighter. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, you see this little red glow. And then this little, I can't say it. So what comes? Somebody else take the dark it saber. Uh, that dark okay, saber. I'll out. just say that dark saber. Okay, the freaking dark saber. And we get a. Um, I mean, it, obviously, there's concept art of it in the credits, but it's a beautiful shot of Gideon standing atop his crash tie fighter with the dark saber in hand. Hmm. And that's kind of all you need to know. And yeah. the episode ends like Q thousands of questions like cl- so we we learned that clearly gideon is this big imperial uh, this this isb you know, officer he knows a lot from the mandalorian wars he clearly played a big role in in the siege of mandalore or not the, the siege of mandalore but the the purge mm-hmm. sorry because yep. the, the siege of mandalore happened in the clone wars the purge happened after rebels at some point uh presumably um you know clearly there he he played a, a big role in this time period and somehow got the dark saber. But last we saw the dark saber was in the possession of Bo-Katan. Cause you remember yep. for, for those of you who may, who may have who either haven't seen rebels or, or, or may have forgotten um, the, uh, 
the the dark saber was created by Tare Vizsla, one of the first Mandalorian Jedi. So again, the Mandalorian were not always. Well, wait a minute. Opponents Isn't it first and only Mandalorian Jedi? Because that was like a thousand years. Uh, yeah, because I, I believe I, he was the I only actually, one. Yeah, I saw that little clip of Kanan talking to the uh, forget that Mandalorian, but they were doing the whole explanation about there was only one Mandalorian Jedi that was done a thousand years before, and the Jedi actually kept the dark saber in the temple, and it was the Visla clan that came in and stole it back. And used it as a way of uniting the Mandalorians and the Visla Vislas ruled Mandalore for thousands of years. Yeah. Yep. You're one hundred percent. That's the short history. Yeah. Well, and then so, well, just so many questions now. So yeah. How so did, I mean, Tom, you're right. Like the the they, the Vizslas, they they reclaimed the dark saber from the Jedi Temple. Um, but then uh, and it kind of used it to become the you know whoever had the dark saber was the rightful ruler. But then Darth Maul challenges Pre Vizsla in the Clone mm-hmm. Wars and kills him, taking the Darksaber as his own. A civil war. To, to quote, to, to quote Pre Vizsla, only the strong survived. <laughs> that yep. was it. Yep. Uh, a civil war erupts on Mandalore, with some following Maul and other following Bo Katan Kreez, uh, Satine Kreez's sister. And uh, and then Darth Sidious eventually kills Maul and, on Dathomir, leaving the Darksaber there. Fast forward to Rebels, Sabine. Ren eventually finds the Darksaber on Dathomir, and Ezra Bridger and Kanan Jarrus teach her how to wield it in some fantastic episodes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Those still Great stand episodes. out. Trials of the Darksaber was cr- incredible. Um, and then eventually Sabine uses the Darksaber to prevent the Imperials from killing the remaining Mandalorians and gives it to Bo-Katan. And the rest is history. So I don't know what happened. Like, do you think, do you think Bo-Katan's dead? How did how did he get the the dark saber? This is this is what I'm this is what I'm hoping for that um, somehow, and this is this is totally what I'm hoping for somehow. Bo-Katan is still alive, and we get Kitty Sackoff to make a guest appearance within the Mandalorian season two to basically come back and reclaim the dark saber. That's <laughs> what I'm hoping for. Funny I'd you be mention okay that, that because just two months ago. While they've been filming The Mandalorian Season 2, Katie Sackoff, who played Bo-Katan, actually tweeted out, Gotta say today was pretty much a career high for me. One day soon you'll understand what I mean. But right now, just know it's the coolest thing ever. Now, could also be something completely different. Oh, could be completely but different. Well, I, that sounds a heck of a lot like Bo-Katan to me. Okay, but but also also the other thing that blew up the internet, which which people, if they do not understand, it totally cracked me up. Sam Witwer did a tweet after this episode and basically put on there that's mine okay <laughs> in so great. many words no he, he did it was very funny to see this tweet he's just oh, like yeah. that's mine and people took it as oh my god darth maul's alive i'm like okay people have you or he's just having fun yeah i think he was having fun okay and and when i saw that the it, i just twitter blew up like oh my god he's gonna no darth maul is he's he's passed to the beyond thanks to obi-wan yes yeah, because people forget like they saw him in Solo, right? Um, but the in Rebels, the timing on things is pretty weird. Yeah. I know, and and that that's why that's why I think it took people off guard when Sam Witwer did that line. People just like okay, you, the, the people who are not in the know don't understand the timeline, and I really think he was joking. Yeah, he was joking clearly, clearly. But 
But I that that is that is my hope. That is my hope upon hope upon hope. And I did not. I I, I follow Katie's. I don't think I follow her on Twitter. But um, that is my hope that somehow I would love to see Katie Sackhoff just Bo-Katan in the series I, for the black uh, dark saber. I'm telling love you, to. I think it's going to happen. I think it's I'm not putting happen. money on oh, it, man. I'm not putting money on it. If oh, it happens, my. you guys will hear me screaming when, all the when way up do we get, to Seattle. When do we get season two? End of the year? This fall, yeah. Yeah, end of the year. Fall 2020. It's got a long, long wait. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, though, maybe, maybe they'll, they'll not soon enough. premiere it in like October instead of mid-November, so it'll be done before the, the holidays. That's my theory, now that they're not um, waiting on Disney Plus to launch. But, okay, but how about how about this? There's a little thing called Celebration coming up in August. Maybe there could be a uh, they like could screen hint, it hint trailer. They could even screen or an episode potentially. You never know. Could screen an episode. Oh, if only we knew someone who was going to go to Celebration this year. God, someone uh, isn't it like three someone's who are going to exactly, be there? Exactly. Man, I can't. I cannot wait. I cannot. Neither can I, wait. man. But there's a I'm lot. There's a lot for season two. I mean, we've got. Baby Yoda's name in species and finding his his family slash the Jedi. Uh, I don't know if they'll actually reveal all of that, but there are you know that we never really find out what happened to that. We never found out what happened to like why the client wanted the child. They never addressed that in this episode. Um, we know that uh, you know Doctor Pershing was trying to save him from something, and they were trying to extract something from the child, but we never know what they wanted Baby Yoda for. Um, uh, the dark saber obviously is a lot of potential there. Um, the, we talked earlier in the episode about the, the, the mysterious guy or, or girl, whatever it is at the end of chapter five on Tatooine. Mm. Um, you know, Omera and Winta never appear again. Um, then they spent an awful lot of time with them. So I suspect they're probably going to return again next season. Um, you know, so yeah, I think there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of really cool stuff for them to to continue. I thought Giancarlo Esposito was a fantastic villain. Oh God, he was great. Yeah, it's I. Uh, can can we I, please be this fall already, please? <laughs> I really I really think this whole season and this whole series has just been outstanding. I think from the reaction, oh, yeah. it took a lot of people off guard that this series came out of left field the way it did. And I'm I'm a Star Wars fan. I'm happy it came this way. Yeah. I really am. I think it's brought a lot of new fans to Star Wars for sure. Yeah, yeah. And at some point we will do a uh, maybe once this, once we finish uh, the season of the Resistance because I know we're a couple episodes behind uh, given the the break with all the shows going on. Uh, we're gonna try to catch up, but uh, the uh, given all of this, um, given all this, we. Uh, We'll we'll get to our our, our series series slash season one recap of the Mandalorian probably in a couple of weeks so stay tuned for for that but for now do you guys have any other thoughts or should we dive into our ratings I say we rate I think it we're good for ratings okay Stephen oh you would put me on the spot so. <laughs> I came out of the episode feeling really good about it. I really enjoyed it. And then as we've been reviewing it, I'm rem- like the first half, I feel like was a still a little bit iffy. It, 
it was missing a couple of things I think that I really wanted to see it handle. Um, what what what, what in mainly particular? like so like I it felt a little slow to me I guess was was the highlight uh not the highlight but the the low light for the opening kind of half hour or so um not sorry not half hour like the opening probably ten minutes a little bit slow I wanted to get in we ended on a climax and I I really wanted to get into that a lot faster um and the episode picks up and then we went from there and I was totally happy um so overall like. A, a fitting conclusion, I think, to the series. It's still not as strong for me as episodes one, two, and three, but like, still, you know, fantastic. I really enjoyed it. I'm incredibly excited for season two. Um, and I gotta give it a number. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna give it. I think I'm gonna give it an eight and a half out of ten. Um, is that? I feel like that seems like, okay. Like last week. Um, sorry. Like last week. Did I give last week's you an eight did. and a half out of ten? That's see, this is okay. I, consistency, I feel consistency I feel like is consistency. good. Yeah, I I feel like they were both solid. Yeah. Um, so I'll go eight out of ten out of eight and a half out of ten Womp Rats, and uh, so we missed this in the beginning, or not the beginning. Sorry, at the very end of the episode, you know. So Moff Gideon is starting to cut his way out through the Tie Fighter. Uh, unfortunately, on one side of the Tie Fighter were eight and a half Womp Rats. Um, they didn't make it. The, that's why he ended up going off the other side of the TIE Fighters. He realized his mistake. Um, but uh, yeah, you don't want to know what a Womp, uh, what a Darksaber does to uh, Womp Rats. It's, uh, it's not pretty. A womp Womp. Oh, ha ha. <laughs> Sorry. That's <sighs> terrible. Absolutely. Yes, you are. And you know how terrible you are, William? So terrible, you're going to go next. Oh, well. Oh, there you uh, go. Yeah. yeah you know, Good. You saved this, me for last. This episode. You're I welcome. Just, I, I loved this episode. Um, I I think the the scene at the beginning was uh, almost uh, almost a parody, but it was it was it was really funny with the the the, 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 the two scout troopers, the IG-11 like his he was probably a standout character in this episode for me. And while I don't feel like we got a ton of a ton of Moff Gideon, um, what I saw of him, we I really liked. Uh, we got some cool action. Um, we got some nice big reveals. Even though I'm not personally like, I would have been okay without the reveals. I don't feel like they were required. Uh, it was cool. And of course, seeing the 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 dark saber and, and the setup for next season is just absolutely incredible. So um, I'm gonna get this uh, nine and a half Womp Rats. Uh, for me and my nine and a half Womp Rats well the the Mandalorian um, the Mandalorian found them uh, you know in the sewers while they were you know like scurrying around uh, and he, he, he took them and as is you know part of his creed he 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 took care of them and made them his own so these Mandalorians they're uh, they're baby Yoda's young brothers and sisters um, I hope Baby Yoda doesn't think Womp Rats taste as good as uh, as frogs, though. Also, side note, who the heck puts a giant sewer grate in the middle of a restaurant <laughs> behind a chair? Like, William. here's a giant bench, and let's just put it in front of the sewer. So you know, okay, like it, that sounds great. No one will smell it, right? Okay, no, but, so, but hang on, William. Okay. You need you're missing something very important here. Yeah, Stephen, you go first. Critical. And I'll go next. So I want you to think about this. 
what does it say when the sewer smells better than your food? That was a conscious decision. <laughs> I would just that was, not go to guys. We need to figure out what do we. That explains. What do we put in. That explains why Look, Grief Karga either... is like downing the drinks there while they're under attack. Yeah. I thought it was because he was worried about like dying. No, he's just trying to like forget the smell. No, 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 no. I think the reason why the sewer grate was there is because if you need to make a quick getaway, you throw the couch out from where the sewer grate is and you basically duck down the sewer grate. Problem is, somebody didn't realize that thing is like what? You know, heavy duty gauge steel. It took them how long to get the thing open? So that's what it was supposed to be there for a quick getaway. Oh, uh, yes, yes. It's a double-edged sword, whichever way you look at it. Either it disguises the smell of the food or it's your quick getaway, whichever you want to take it. But I think for me, on this episode, I got to rate it. So I'm going to give this episode a nine. Um, I think I I love this episode. I think this was a great way to wrap up this eight-episode series. I, yeah, sure, you could nitpick little bits here and there. I think that a lot of the explanation that was done, I think, was worth it for the payoff. And I think it sets up a lot of nice stuff going forward. Um, and that reveal at the end with the Darksaber, yeah, it took us how long to get to that, which I'm surprised we didn't talk about that first, but we kept that under wraps until the end, which I thought was really cool. So with my nine, I'm going to take my nine Womp Rats. And you see the problem is with the Womp Rats and the child. Well, the child ends up developing a taste for Womp Rat stew. Yeah, I know. I know, because I was thinking about giving them as pets, but you see the the frog thing he since he doesn't have frogs to eat and and he doesn't have bone broth but he while well, he has bone broth we can make bone broth easy and he needs to put some kind of protein in there and since he doesn't have frogs well he's got nine womp rats to kind of keep him um you, you know fed for a while you know what tom what this is the way this is the way <laughs> uh, what are you gonna do yeah uh, such a kid's gotta eat such a great season they did, they did yeah. a fantastic job, and I, I cannot wait for, uh, for, for next fall. But until then, we actually have the the remaining uh, five six episodes of Resistance, uh, as well as twelve new episodes of the Clone Wars coming in just oh. one month. We still haven't gotten an official I trailer. Cannot but, wait. Oh, it's coming oh, up. Oh, it's so soon. I cannot wait. So soon. Cannot wait. Yeah. But first, we've still got Resistance. uh, And uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about Resistance Season 2, Episode 13, Breakout. It was directed by Brad Rao and written by Stephen Melching. And in this episode, Kaz and Norath try to help their friends while being pursued by a deadly bounty hunter. Meanwhile, Yeager and Sonara face tyranny and the First Order. Or is it the tyranny of the First Order? I'm not sure. Uh, Ooh, that actually make that that makes sense though. I I believe that's they're probably making a pun on her name, just like Axe Tagrin is a pun on Axe to Grind. I guess um, that's oh god that's where his name came from originally. I didn't I I didn't uh, pick that up. But this is a, this is the second half of the two parter we saw last week, and um uh and somehow uh, everyone's all back. Yeager, Sonara, CB twenty three, they're all alive. Because if you remember, at the end of the last episode, we see this giant explosion, and we don't know, are Yeager and Sonara still alive? CB-23 is like, like she's out of, um, she's like, like almost falling apart. Her head's like in the 
dirt. She's unable to move. And this episode picks up and Max Taggart is basically escorting them all. And CB23 is rolling right along. And I don't know. Well, well I remember. No... I, Go ahead, Tom. I was going to say, remember, uh, you know, the Rise of Skywalker where uh, you had Ray think that she blew up a troop transport that had Chewbacca on it. Maybe in this case, the exact same exact same thing happened where it really was a different transport and it didn't have, you know, Jaeger and Sonara and CB-23 inside. Possible, but probably it's an explanation. But, but it's an explanation. It, it, sure. it could work. It could. I've seen crazier things. You're correct, Tom. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 animation. Anything can happen. You know, and then we get to see, you know, Agent Pyre, Commander Pyre again, which we haven't seen him in a while, have we? Yeah, I liked him showing up, and I I like that between the last episode and this one, we kind of get a... It kind of feels like we're back in the groove a little bit of, with Resistance. Like, we've actually got a plot that matters more than the first, like, you know, 22 minutes of a single episode. Like, oh... Mm-hmm. That's right. We did have, like Pyre, the First Order are here. They're chasing down the Colossus. They're chasing down Kaz. They're chasing down the Rebel Spy. Like there's actual plot happening, which is all I ever want from Resistance mm-hmm. is actual plot. Yeah, something to keep moving everything forward. Yeah, that's what I, I like. Exactly. And it's cool that you know he, they try to Axe tries to turn over Commander uh, all all of his captives to Pyre and Tyranny, and of course they're not happy because Kaz and uh, and Norath, two of the big spies, had escaped, and so the re- the rest of the episode is basically them torturing uh, Sonara and Yeager and CB twenty three to try to get their location, and it's kind of this race against time because if Pyre um, is uh, says he finds them first, like Axe will get nothing. You know, and when it comes to Pyre. He's always getting threatened with, you need to do this or you're going to get wasted. Or you need to find this or, you know, you may not end up in a good spot later on down the road if this happens. Because, you know, and that's why it's like, okay, then it is a race against time because he's going to find them. Because if he does, well, he can probably live a little longer. That was said in the episode, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, this is... It's a weird kind of episode because it's Kaz gets to do Kaz. I kind of like that they draw attention to Kaz when he's talking. Uh, what's the name of the spy? I'm blanking on his name. Norath. Uh, Norath. Norath. That's right. Thank you. Um, and he's talking to Norath and he's like, okay, here's the plan. We're going to dress up as stormtroopers. And he's like, that's crazy. No, it'll never work. And Kaz is like, I've done it before. I mean, once. And it didn't yeah. work then. But it'll work now. <laughs> and and, that, and even, that wasn't. No, go ahead. And I even love at the end of the episode when they show up, everything obviously turns out fine, and they see Niku, and Niku's like, you did the Stormtrooper thing! (laughs) (laughs) And he can't believe it worked. That's just a great thing. Yeah, Uh, Kaz is not the smartest character we've ever seen in Star Wars. Not by a mile or more. But I I greatly appreciate when they they kind of lean into it and know it's kind of the, I'm gonna call it the Jar Jar effect to some degree of like, yeah, Jar Jar is not the most, uh, I mean, I don't even know what word to use serious or, or, um, yeah, like he's not a serious character. character. You know, you don't expect him to be the smartest person there. Uh, and that's okay because sometimes you just lean into that. And when you make it and understand that that's the case, 
yeah, it's fine. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think that's what helps with, with Nico is when, when they get it right, they lean into that character. And, and, and especially, I think, when it comes into like one of the later episodes we're going to talk about, um, where they kind of lean into how that character is. Same thing with Jar Jar. It's like you can lean into that character if you, you know how to write it. And what I find very funny, and I'm going to go back to the Stormtrooper thing. Okay, I am surprised it did work because I do remember Norath was saying, the armor was a little bit tight on him. And if you really took a look at the armor, you could see that wasn't an actual stormtrooper in the armor. Cause I thought I saw a little bit of green. Yeah, no, like it was, you could tell the armor didn't quite fit, you know, his yeah. head didn't fit in it really very well. It was, it was pretty well done as far as animation. And actually right. speaking of and, animation. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Tom. No. And, and I was going to say, and, and it, it was, it was so obvious, especially how they act sometimes because you have stormtrooper, um, uh, the first order of stormtroopers walking by and they just all of a sudden up against the wall and just jump to like, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, sir. You know, and it's like, don't you think this is just a little bit off, especially that one guy who's just a little bit green. Now they could have passed it off as the armor was a little too tight. That's why he was a little green. Bad joke. Anyway, go ahead, William. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, I, I liked, I liked how they actually went. You know, they tried to go undercover and the plan works this time. Uh, and, and as you said, Stephen, like when they, it's when they lean into the fact that Kaz is not very good, that the show is the best. When, yeah, yeah. Tra- when you try to put, Without a doubt. portray a character who's not very smart as someone who's this brilliant, you know, character, that's when I think it falls apart. Cause it, we all see through it. And I think that's the resistance often does too much, but sometimes they do, they get it right. And it's just, it's just great. Um, so anyway, they 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 end up, you know, they Kaz, of course, since he constantly screws up, promptly gives away their location to two stormtroopers, and they end up having to hide in uh, this uh, Gabdorin's vendor's house, and you know have to like knock out the two stormtroopers. Fun fact: the Gador- Gabdorin alien is the same type of uh, species that we saw accompanying Sidon Athano, the Crimson Corsair in the Force Awakens, and Sidon. Oh, that's cool. Come into the show later on in the season. Um, well, doesn't the Crimson Corsair make an appearance uh, too? He, he may show up later. Yes. Yeah, um, I think he does. But uh, well, spoilers, guys. Just because you guys have watched ahead doesn't mean that I have. <laughs> it's it's sorry. Not much a spoiler. It's in the episode description. That's... But um, uh, but uh, yeah. So the the you know also to be clear. This this guy, the unnamed Gabdoran vendor, he does not he is not the same one that was with Sidon. Um, anyway, it's good enough. Yeah. Um, so of course, uh, Axe Tagrin he quickly discovers what they're up to and listens in on their plan. But interestingly, he doesn't immediately go after them. Instead, he goes to Kaz and Yuga's shuttle and decides to just wait and 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 uses it as an opportunity to report the location of the Colossus to Pyre and, and Galaxy. So he kind of kills two birds with one stone, which is um which is it's pretty plan. Yeah, it, it's a it's a great plan. Smart plan. Axe remains one of my favorite villains that I feel like Resistance has had in that like he actually seems to have, you know, good ideas, which is a low bar, but you know, <laughs> unlike Norath who while I liked seeing another spy, he cannot for the life of him uh, be as, as be you know subtle, just like just like a cas. Even even basically Nora another cast, is yeah. terrible. Like, I don't know where the resistance is getting their spies, but there's a reason why they were losing to the first order. 
Sorry, too harsh. Um, no, it's very accurate. What I did love, though, I loved the visual. The, like, the, the animations in this episode were, were, were just really mm-hmm. well done. Um, the, the first one that really, like, blew me away was when, um, you know, we, we see the Colossus. Like, the, the First Order they, is on the way. They know where Doza is thanks to Axe Tagrin. And so they fly the Colossus out of the planet's atmosphere because it was hiding uh, in this uh, electrical interference in the middle of the... Um, Which the, looks really cool. Yeah, that actually it, looked really cool. Yeah, and the way it, like, it, the electricity or the atmosphere, like, you know, surrounds the ship and kind of pulls away from the planet as the ship leaves the atmosphere. Just gorgeous, gorgeous. Now, I don't know why Doza just didn't leave his planned like when they decided that at the beginning of the last episode, hey, if you're in trouble, we're just gonna leave and you know get the heck out of there. Uh, instead, they they try to stay for as long as possible, which was not the smartest plan. But visually, it it, it looked stunning. Um, yeah. And, and later on in the Absolutely. episode, too, uh, when um, again, like a lot of the the the, the outdoor shots, like when the you know the they shut the um, the 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 colossus starts to uh actually that's actually, actually this is after the colossus left and there's all of those ties chasing um the our heroes the clouds were just gorgeous absolutely mm-hmm. gorgeous so really really well done animation in this one without a doubt i also really appreciated uh seeing the aces back in action at the end of the episode yeah i was finally getting to see them fly um, yeah, seeing them cover Kaz and Yeager as they're flying the shuttle out is just, again, one of the things that Resistance has done really well. And every time they kind of find an excuse to come back and do it again, I'm always very happy. Yeah. Very, uh, very much so. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, they eventually run into, um, uh, <laughs> They eventually run into Pyre and Kaz. Oh, sorry, Kaz and Norath eventually run into Pyre. Um, you know, taking a step back a little bit. And for some reason, this is, again, like some odd decisions. They they try to shoot him, but they, it was a stun. The blaster set to stun. And so they're like, well, they just shake. They just like shrug their shoulders like, oh, okay. And then just like run off. Like, why wouldn't you at least try to tie him up or something? Like, you've got the guy who's been chasing you for forever. Why not? Well, when, it comes, when it comes to stunning uh, Pyre, Kaz, I think he missed again, right? And it was Norat that actually shot him. Mm, I believe you're right. I forget. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. No, but I agree. I mean, it, it, at this point, yeah, they should, if they stun him, tie him up at least, or I like the other aspect, just get rid of him. But it's a kid's show. Yeah. Speaking but of kid's shows, get... torture. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. The torture. <laughs> Poor... Poor Yeager and Sonara um, trying to, you know, they're trying to torture him for information, but CB as well, like CB gets tortured and almost. He destroyed. definitely gets the worst he, of it. I think Yeah, he gets yeah. it. She, but she manages to, to escape at the last she gets minute. It. Thank you. Yeah. And, um, and like right before they decide to rip her apart, she escapes, shocks the trooper and basically fries the entire control room in a, in a pretty cool scene uh, and tries to rescue to, you know, r- run back to the, to to the to the first order base to uh to rescue Yeager and Sonara but Kaz and Norath are already there and they're all together again after arguing about who rescued whom and all that good stuff 
Yeah. Um, yeah. But Axe, Axe is waiting for them when they return to their shuttle, which I have to say, like, Axe, that's a pretty good strategy. Pretty brilliant strategy. I was like, why aren't you going after them? Well, of course they're going to go back to their ship. Mm-hmm. Afterward. They weren't going to steal a first order ship. Might yeah. as well just go back to theirs. Oh. Uh, and we get another, uh, another cool, um, fight scene between Axe and our heroes or they try to lock him in the ship and CB 23 comes in and just runs over Axe. And that's kind of the end of him. Like he, he's clearly not dead, yeah. but he's not, you don't know. He kind of just disappears from the episode after that. How did you feel with about his disappearance, Steven? Uh, I'm hoping they reserve him from use again. Although maybe that, I don't know. He could also be dead and they just didn't want to show. Like, yeah, he got burnt to a crisp by the shuttle's engines. Yeah. We'll just. Yeah. Could it? We'll, hey, you know, we'll worry about it later. Happens off screen. Yeah, off screen. You don't need to worry about it. Remember, it's a kid's show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, are we ready to wrap up, do you think? Oh, there's uh, al- almost done. Almost done. We get the. Um, the Aces, turns out, stayed behind, which actually I like that plan, right? So the Colossus. Finally, like the, the first order is on top of the Colossus. The Colossus jumps out, and the um, the Aces stay behind uh, to to rescue them, which I think is the best possible plan. I don't know why Yeager didn't do that earlier. And so the Aces come to the rescue, take out all the ties, and uh, you know they they start to to fly into the into low orbit and uh, just before, you know, like right in front of them, the first order star destroyer is there and it deploys even more ties. And just when they think that all hope is lost, the Colossus does this like incredible jump out of hyperspace. Um, and like stops in between them and the, and the star destroyer to perform like this protective, to form this protective barrier and until everyone could, could board and, and jump away again. My big question was like, how could they possibly have made such a precise jump like that? That's a good question for TV. Yeah. And on top of that, (laughs) there's a bunch of droids and there's droids on the bridge. So I I, I could, I could chalk it up to that. Yeah. I, I don't have a good answer for you, unfortunately, William. And, and I don't know. And it's just in a, in a post last Jedi world, it also seems, uh, surprising that the first order just didn't try to track him through hyperspace but you know i guess uh, maybe for it was difficult they didn't have the right tech i don't know who knows um we'll see another interesting point that i feel like has been kind of under the surface of this whole season in um at the beginning of the of season two, they went to go meet the resistance at the resistance base. And then that whole plot point just kind of gets dropped. They need resources and they start running around trying to get, get all the supplies they need. Um, and then occasionally they'll go do stuff for the resistance. Like Kaz wanted to go rescue Norath in the last two episodes. And sometimes they're, they just don't do anything. It, it, originally it seemed like their goal was to catch up with the resistance, but now it's just kind of, I guess just to survive. Yeah. It and seems then, like they're just wandering from place to place now. Yeah. And then Doza makes this fascinating comment in this episode about how, you know, he rescued Norath for his people and his friends, not for the resistance. And 
it almost makes it sound like Doza just doesn't care about the resistance. I, well, I, I got think... the impression they were all going to join at this point, but I guess, mm. I guess. Not. I mean, the thing to remember is at this point, there's not much of the resistance left. That's like we're post episode eight when do the they resistance know that, is. Sorry. Do they know that? Like we have, they haven't heard the call. Actually, yeah, see, that's, uh, the, that's interesting. That's why, the thing. why wouldn't they have heard the call uh, from Leia? Yeah, it's like what first order was jamming them, maybe, or possibly. I don't know. It's a but good question. That, that is the placement right now within the series compared to you know um, Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. But not to not to jump ahead, but th- there is something that happens in a next in another episode in which you do get the idea that Doza just wants to settle down and just stay somewhere in peace. Yeah, I don't know. Very. So. Very, very interesting. I yeah. guess we'll have to so. wait and see. But in the meantime, Kaz does decline to join the resistance, even though Norath offers and says he's not quite ready to leave. And that's it. That's that's the end of the episode. Um, okay. Yeah, Stephen, what what would you give this? Uh, I'll give it. I think a, I'll call it a seven and a half out of ten. Um, and I just it's an enjoyable episode. Like I. I continue to enjoy it to enjoy acts. I enjoy the uh, introduction of the first order here and kind of, again, actually having an episode where it really kind of feels like there is a battle happening and that there's larger stakes than just whatever Kaz messed up this week. Um, so yeah, I'll go to seven and a half out of 10 and uh, my womp rats are uh, also just sneaking around the planet in stormtrooper armor. It's why, you know, it's uh. not stormtroopers act suspicious is not nothing new. <laughs> That it is good one, Tom. Um, I'm going to give this episode a seven. Um, You know what? I'm liking the episodes as they move forward with the storyline of the resistance and the first order. And it seems like it's going somewhere. So, and this one does give the feeling it's going in some kind of direction. So I'm giving this a seven, seven Womp Rats out of 10 and my seven Womp Rats, you know what? I think I'm just going to let them enjoy the aces ready room and just kick back and relax and have a couple drinks on me it's very kind compared of you, to though. the ones that I did for the Mandalorian. These guys get a break. Very kind of you. Yeah. Uh, well, I, uh, I think I'm gonna give this seven Womp Rats as well. I thought it was a, it was a good episode. Um, I, I, I like you, Tom. I like how it's, they're slowly starting to progress toward the the end. I don't feel like I feel like it's season one. There was at this part of this of the of the season, there was a lot more momentum mm-hmm. happening. Oh uh, no, I agree. In in the show, as they they built up toward the uh, toward the end, uh, like this was, um, you know, I th- this was like dangerous business. I think was the the episode. Um, so maybe not, maybe I guess it was a bit longer, but they also had a, a, a longer season. So that's, that's mm-hmm. probably the, the reason why. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, they're, they're slowly getting there. Um, and I, I'm excited to see kind of how they, they wrap up the next five final episodes of the series. So that I'm going to give it seven Womp Rats out of 10 and my seven Womp Rats will, they, uh, <laughs> they were in the, the crossfire collateral damage, as they say, when uh, CB23 rammed Axe Tagarin and they all got ran over too. Ouch. So poor, poor Womp Rats. They're very flat. 
Flat as a pancake. Yeah. Yeah. Coming up on Ion Cannon, we have Resistance Season 2, Episode 14, The Mutiny. Kragan buys a secret weapon to capture the Colossus and take over. Oh, no. When Sonara discovers this plan, she tries to warn Kaz and crew, but it may be too late. Uh, yeah, this is uh, we're, we're done with The Mandalorian. We just have yep. five episodes of Resistance left, including two two-parters. Um, well, I guess there's a there's one episode, and then there's a two-parter, and then another one episode, and then the final episode, which is a double length. So technically, it's two-parter, but it's only counted as as one of the five. Uh, but we are almost at the end, yep. guys. Thanks for uh, thanks for uh, recording as always. It's a it's oh, always fun to talk Star Wars with you guys on our three hundredth episode of so hard to believe Ion Cannon. Crazy. It's pretty cool though. Yeah, really is cool. It is. It is. Uh, we actually uh, we opened. We started off the episode uh, before we started recording. Actually, with a really cool um, patch that Tom made for uh, oh, for God. us. Uh, so thank you for doing that. Kind of celebrate our uh, 300. Not a problem. It's very it's, very it's, cool. It, uh, very not cool. A problem. Yeah. And, and also for everybody who's been hanging around and listening to us for all these episodes, thank you for listening. And please, if you like what you're hearing. Tell your friends. Let them hear just as much hear this show just as you are. We love doing this. We do it for you guys. We are going to see you guys at celebration at the closing of this year in August. So love to meet anybody there. Definitely, so, definitely. But we still go. have a lot more resistance. Oh, we got a, a lot, lot more to go. Clone Wars. There's many, many more episodes coming up. We're not taking a break. Nope, so not taking any get break. Ready. Um, but with that, uh, we'll be back next week with our review of Resistance the Mutiny. Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. For over a decade, Ion Cannon has covered every corner of the saga, from the films and animated series like The Clone Wars and Rebels, to books, comics, games, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help this show grow within the Star Wars community. We can be found at our website, ioncannoncast.com, and you can follow us through Facebook and Twitter. To email us, you can do so at contact at ioncannoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, The Walt Disney Company, or any and all of their respective trademarks or copyright holders. Any opinion expressed on the show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans, for fans, and is copyright 2018.